Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hello, hello. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. This is the Peddling Fiction Podcast, broadcasting once again from the Windy City, deep behind enemy lines. And of course, I am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny the Gentile Profita. How's everybody doing today? Did you all watch the debates last night? I think it was the ninth one. <laughs> and boy, did it did it go off um, with a bang right off the bat. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But first, I have some more news to report on the shelf debacle front. For those of you who have been listening to the show for at least the last couple of weeks, you are well aware that I had quite a time trying to get a bookshelf delivered to my place that I ordered off of Amazon. And the first person I ordered it from was using the United States Postal Service to deliver the shelf. And long story short, they failed miserably three or four different times on two separate orders. And three weeks later, I finally just decided the hell with it. I'm canceling and I'm going to order a new bookshelf from a different person and that came within a couple of days. And then um, a couple of days ago, this was all at, at the end of January is when I started this whole debacle, right? And I think the day before yesterday, I finally got an update from the United States Postal Service on the two separate orders of bookshelves that I had placed that they were supposed to deliver. They hadn't delivered any of them. And I hadn't heard from them. It had been about three weeks since the first order, maybe a little longer. And they were supposed to be sending me updates on where my package was all the time. It was this whole thing. You can go back and listen to those episodes. There was probably a three-week period where I started off the show with a rant about shelves. And I got a text saying that my shelf was delivered. <laughs> okay, so I go down. And apparently all these obstructions and everything that was preventing them from delivering it the last uh, 13 times those were now magically gone. And I had, despite canceling each order, I canceled the first order like three weeks ago. I canceled the second order about a week and a half after that. I got two more bookshelves <laughs> delivered. So they finally made it. About a month later after I placed the first order, I got two bookshelves from canceled orders. And I don't know. I don't know what I should do now. Should I open up a furniture shop is my question. Because I have those two bookshelves. I have three quarters of the bookshelves from the other order. 
that they just sent me to because I needed to replace two of the the shelves that were that came damaged in the in the order. Um, so I got two and two and three quarters bookshelves. I also have a mirror, like one of these big Art Deco mirrors from another whole issue uh, years ago that I've just been hanging on to. I, I don't know, maybe maybe I missed my calling. I should cancel the podcast and just go into furniture dealing because I have like half a storeroom worth of stuff already that I need to get rid of. So if anybody's looking for a bookshelf, hit me up on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. Maybe I can work something out for you. It's, it's a nice looking shelf, if I do say so myself. And uh, I'll give you a hell of a deal on it. <laughs> you just have to come and get it. <laughs> Uh, I will not be sending it to USPS, but anyway, um, so yeah, I got a bunch of bookshelves now and I don't know what the hell to do with them taking up more space in my condo. But anyway, that's enough about me. Let's get into these debates, shall we? I don't know. I think a lot of people were watching last night's debate, even though it was the ninth one. And these are just the most insufferable thing on the face of the earth. Um, but it was the first one with former New York mayor Mike Bloomberg, a.k.a. Mini Mike. Mini Mike was on the debate stage and, you know, the very diverse debate stage at this point. I, I just sat back and reveled in all the diversity that was up there. You know, we had an 80 year old or so Bloomberg, an 80 year old. Uh, Pocahontas, an 80-year-old uh, Jewish guy from uh, Vermont. <laughs> right? He had uh, another um, another white guy from Indiana and then some white woman from uh, Minnesota. I think that's it. Oh, yeah, and then sleepy, creepy Joe Biden, who's 80 going on 180. <laughs> and uh, they, they basically just left him out of the conversation altogether for the most part. I almost forgot he was there at one point. He has slipped into irrelevance, and uh, man, did it go off like it right off the bat? Okay, they ask um, they ask Bernie Sanders a question. They they typically do this. They start with the front runner and they ask them a question, and it was like something about you know Bloomberg, blah 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 blah. Bernie Sanders starts talking, goes into his you know typical spiel. You always know what Bernie Sanders is going to say, even before he starts opening his mouth, but. Right away, you see Elizabeth Warren's hand shoot up. Like, you could tell she was prepared for this. It's the one thing that she was waiting for was, I need to hit Mayor Bloomberg on all his sexism. And sure enough, they call on her, and she just goes after him. You know, he's this guy. He's calling women fat, fat broads and horse-faced uh, lesbians or something like that. I don't know. Bloomberg's got a lot of... Uh, a lot of stuff that's been coming out in the last couple of weeks as he's been really kicking his sort of commercial campaign into high gear. You know, this was his whole thing. He, he basically stayed out of all the debates up to this point. He's been kind of keeping a low profile. Then he decided officially to get in, and he's just been running these ads constantly and spending a ton of money. $400 million so far last time I heard. And he's prepared. I think he's like, I'll spend $3 billion with a B. And I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude. $3 billion on a political campaign. And he's like, I don't even care if I win. I'm just going to, even if I'm not the nominee, I'll still give that, that candidate a billion dollars worth of 
advertising money or something like that. He'll just make commercials on their behalf and spend a billion dollars doing it. He's just got an insane amount of money. That is his one claim to fame. The one thing that he can really beat over the head uh, Donald Trump with is that he's a bigger billionaire by far. Like Donald Trump, maybe he's got a few billion, maybe he's got 10 billion, we don't really know. But Bloomberg's got like 50 billion. He's got so much he's got so much money that he can just uh spend 3 billion dollars on a pointless political campaign and not even think about it. That is truly what they call FU money. It reminded me of the uh if anybody watches Curb Your Enthusiasm, they they got this new season out. And it reminded me, what a great show, by the way. Larry David gets into this thing at a coffee shop with with this guy. And it, it's sort of like a long-standing feud that they've had, and they brought this guy back. And he gets into another thing, another uh, altercation with this guy over scones and the, the temperature of the coffee or whatever. And he's just, and the place next door opened up. And Larry David's got all that Seinfeld money. You know, he's got hundreds of millions of dollars. He's like, you know what? I'm opening up a, a, a spite shop, a spite coffee shop, just to spite you, a revenge shop. And, and just to drive you out of business, I'm going to buy the, the place next door, open up a coffee shop, and, and make better scones and lower-priced coffee just so I can drive you out of business. And it's basically what Bloomberg's trying to do to, uh, to Trump. It's like a spite campaign. Um, anyway, I haven't talked about him much. I've been, you know, I've done pretty much a debate recap after almost all of these. I've watched way too many, um, more than I care to have admitted to. I, I've missed a few that have run on like Friday night or something. And I think I was out of town for one, but the, the last three or four, I mean, I don't know why anybody would watch those. They're all the same. And I just can't, I, I mean, do they always have this many debates? And why, I mean, they call them debates. They're not debates at all. But why do, like, if they're going to, if they know they're going to have 10 or 12 debates or something before these primaries actually even get started, why not, and they only have five topics to talk about, why not just dedicate an entire debate to one topic? I know I've said this before, but it's just so stupid. Each time they go over the same five things, and they you have to rush through everything. There's no in-depth conversation about anything, just a bunch of political platitudes. And now we finally got some bickering back and forth in this last one that I'll talk about. But uh, if, if climate change is such a thing, devote an entire debate to climate change. Why not do that? And, and then the next one can be on you know the economy and then the next one can be on foreign policy and you do that and you have five or six debates you go through all of your stupid little platforms and then you do another round another another okay it's now it's time to revisit foreign policy because we did that five weeks ago we'll do a whole episode on that but you know nobody really wants to get to the the heart of these matters it's it's all just like a popularity contest at this point and um I guess entertainment, you know, these guys have to get their names out there, which is why I thought it was weird that Bloomberg decided to get into these debates. Because normally you want to be on that debate stage because you got to get your name out there. You got to get your face out there. You have to introduce yourself to the American people. You need you need name recognition. You need uh, eyeballs on you, right? 
because a, a, a Tulsi Gabbard and Andrew Yang, nobody knows who these people are until they're up there on the debate stage, right? Well, everybody knows Mayor Bloomberg. He was the mayor of the, like, the biggest city in the country, okay? He was the mayor of New York. Everybody knows who he is. He d designed Bloomberg terminals, right? The, the, like every trader, everybody on Wall Street, they all use these things. He's, he's got $50 billion, and he's been running commercials for the last month and a half. I, you know, I have to confess, I don't think I've seen any of them. Maybe I caught one or, or, or two along the way. But who watches commercials anymore? What kind of idiot watches a commercial now? DVR it. Fast forward through that shit. Stream it. Who's streaming and paying for commercials? Pay the extra five bucks, three bucks a month, whatever it is, on Hulu so you don't have to sit through a Bloomberg commercial. Like, do you hate yourself that much? Who in their right mind in the year 2020 is voluntarily watching commercials on TV? They are so easily avoidable. I can't remember the last time I actually watched one uh, absent the, the Super Bowl where, like, it, basically that's the whole point is to watch the commercials. But, so I haven't seen too many of these things, but I keep seeing people talk about them. They're on YouTube, too. You can't watch a YouTube video, I guess, without a uh, Mayor Bloomberg ad. So he's got the name recognition. He's got his face out there. What is to gain by going on these debates uh, into, into a very hostile environment, especially right after all of these tapes came out of him talking about stop and frisk and Apparently, you know, fat broads and uh, horse-faced lesbians, things like that. I, I didn't see much to gain here, but he did it. And man, did he take a beating. He took a beating right off the bat. He had no answers for any of these things, which is, a okay, you're going to go out on the debate stage. You know for a fact the first thing you're going to get hit with is one of two things. Either you're a sexist or you're a racist. So you have to have a response to that. You can't just kind of sit there and roll your eyes, which is basically what he did. I mean, you have to you have to be able to prepare for like the easiest, the most predictable things. Now there is not a really good response. I, I, I tripped up and said easiest there. There's not a really good response to your whole stop and frisk thing. That's a pretty hard policy to defend. Um, the sexist stuff I think is easier, but he didn't even try to do that. I was baffled as to why he agreed to do this, especially if you're not going to be prepared to answer the two things that they're going to hit you with. And, uh, man, it was just a disastrous night for him. He took such a beating in the first half of this debate. I actually tweeted out, uh, I was tweeting like a man because things were going really fast too. There was a lot of back and forth. There was a lot of bigger. It was the, the first one that was actually somewhat entertaining to watch because they they did start to take the kid gloves off a little bit. Up until this point, they've been coddling each other. Nobody wants to attack e anybody, and th there's been like a little feud back and forth every once in a while, but it's just so boring. They all agree with each other 99% of the time, and they're all just like, oh, we got to get Donald Trump, and we're not going to beat Donald Trump with this, or we're not going to beat Donald Trump with that. Uh, but they were really going after each other because uh, – uh, shit's getting real, as they say, right? And, you know, it was right, like, I tweeted out <laughs> about halfway through this debate where if there was a halftime 
like a football game and you go into the locker room, what do you think the odds of Bloomberg coming out for the second half of this game would be? Because he got demolished. He didn't have answers for anything. And one of the reasons why I haven't talked about him much when I've been doing previous analysis of the, the candidates and the whole Democratic field is because I never thought he had a chance and he wasn't in any of these debates. So he, he like I didn't see him much. Maybe I should have talked about him more, but I don't watch commercials and he wasn't really surging in the polls or anything. He just seemed to be sort of hanging out in the background, spending a lot of money. I, I just don't see... He, he just has way too many things working against him. Even if you take into account all of his experience in running running uh, New York as as mayor, which, you know, that is, a, that's a big city, that's a lot of responsibility. But, you know, he's he's just so out of touch with the Democratic Party. I don't understand why people can't, why the establishment can't wrap their heads around this, okay? He's a New York billionaire. He's an old white guy. He's from New York. He's rich. He made all his money in finance, which is like pure evil to Democratic Socialists, which is where all of the energy in your party is, all of it. It's all young people. It's all these self-proclaimed socialists, Democratic Socialists, whatever you want to call them. They hate finance. They hate Wall Street. They hate the rich. Right. Uh, Bernie Sanders said, and they brought this up in the debate, billionaires shouldn't exist. Uh, OK, so, well, here's a billionaire from New York that got rich in finance. <laughs> it's like if they if they were um, if they had holy water, they'd be throwing it all over Bloomberg because he represents pure evil. And, and the other thing is, there's something pretty hilarious about this because he's a Republican. He's a Republican billionaire from New York running as a Democrat potentially against a Democrat billionaire from New York running as a Republican in Donald Trump. <laughs> like, <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. They're, they're two sides of the same coin, basically. And then the other thing that's hilarious is that Mayor Bloomberg has all these um, very authoritarian, um, almost totalitarian, paternalistic policies where he wants to, you know, ban sugary drinks or limit the size of a drink that you could buy and like the candy and stuff like that. He hates fast food. He hates junk food. And Donald Trump lives on that stuff, just lives on it. If, if Bloomberg gets the nomination and he, Donald Trump doesn't come out to, on the debate stage drinking a big gulp, I will be thoroughly disappointed at this point. Thoroughly disappointed. <laughs> but anyway, I just don't see any redeeming qualities for, for Bloomberg in this case. You know, not only does he have all the, the rich stuff working against him, and he's like a lispy, sort of effeminate, a, a Jewish guy. Like, uh, Jews don't, don't do too well in political campaigns in the United States. Bernie Sanders is the, the, the closest a, a Jew has ever gotten to the presidency. I don't see Mayor Bloomberg overtaking him, at least not legitimately. And now that he's getting more involved in these things and he's on the debate stage, all of these um, sort of skeletons are coming out of his closet. They're starting to dig up a lot of dirt, and maybe they've just been sitting on it. They've had it this whole time, and they've been waiting for him to get more involved. And, and now, right before this debate or right before the big primaries, they just drop these, these videos of him talking about stop and frisk. And um, 
you got to hand it to Bloomberg, man. He was uh, very candid with his words back then. He's not exactly uh, politically correct when he's talking about this stuff. And my God, does it not play well. I mean, good luck getting the black vote after you're on tape talking about how we need to throw them up against the wall and frisk them. <laughs> I mean, in what universe can something like that be overcome by Democratic voters? Not even just the black voters, but all of them. I mean, they, they scream on and on about all this racism, all the institutionalized racism and the prison pipelines and all that stuff. And, um, you know, Trump's supposed to be the most racist guy ever. I don't even recall him saying anything like that. <laughs> and Trump would have a field day with this. You, you don't think Trump is just going to hit him over the head with this stuff over and over again? And, you know, even if Bloomberg, because he's trying to walk these comments back now, you know, he's trying to talk. He basically talks out of both sides of his mouth. On the one hand, he cites the crime statistics and he's like, well, you know, look how look how much crime went down. It was cut in half or whatever. Violent crime was cut in half under my tenure. And then on the other hand, he's like, well, you know, we did too much of this and I, I really shouldn't have. I really should have had a better uh, handle on this thing and it got out of control. And it's like, well, well, which is it? Did you do too much of it? Because if you do less of it, then you can't point to the crime statistics as as proof that it was a good policy. And if if it was good policy, why wouldn't you do more of it? You know, so y you can get him coming and going on this. He's he's really caught between a rock and a hard place. You can get him for the policy in the first place and how wrong it is to just be profiling people and stopping them on the street, the street, violating their rights and, and strips or er, <laughs> strip searching and uh, frisking them. And then when Bloomberg tries to, you know, defend the the policy and talk about how great the statistics are, yada, yada, yada. Well, well then he's a flip flopper, right? Because he's going to, when you tell him how bad the policy is, he's gonna be like, yeah, you know, I shouldn't have done that. And then he's going to start talking about the statistics and it's like, well, w which is it? You don't stick to your guns. Now you, you back off what you think is the right policy. What's working, what's helping bring down crime just because people are criticizing you. You don't have the stomach or the guts to 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 stick to your guns, you know, whatever. Mini Mike, he's uh, not just small in stature. He's small in testicular fortitude as well. Yeah, these things, I mean, you just write this stuff yourself. But this is probably just the tip of the iceberg. I'm sure there's a ton more that he's said over the years that's going to come out. And you either have to own it or denounce it. If, if Donald Trump taught us anything, just own it. You're, you're, they're going to label you a sexist or a racist either way. Own it and, and talk about the, benef the benefits as you see them to whatever policy. Or if, if they're going to label you a sexist, own it. Okay, grab them by the pussy. All right. <laughs> I mean, Donald Trump never walked that stuff back. Remember when they opened up that debate? What's her name? Megyn Kelly. It's like, Donald Trump, you have called women fat pigs. <laughs> Only Rosie O'Donnell. Right? I mean, Donald Trump won that exchange immediately. Bloomberg just sort of sits there and, and takes these punches. And, uh, man, he just looked terrible. And if by some miracle he ends up getting the nomination and this goes to the national stage, Bloomberg's really only way that he can insult Donald Trump is that he's a bigger billionaire. And, you know, I have no doubt in my mind that that really gets under Donald Trump's skin. 
that that Bloomberg can brag that he's got so much more money than him, and that he he's a self-made like he came uh, he came from humble beginnings and he started this massive empire. He's got a massive empire. He's got his own news agency, a Bloomberg News. He's got the Bloomberg terminals. He he is like everything that the de- Democratic platform rails against a, a corporatist America. But he can be he can claim to be a bigger billionaire than Donald Trump and talk about how none of the uh, elites, the New York elites ever respected Donald Trump. They're all laughing at him and things like that. But here's the thing. Now you're just um, alienating Democrats with the with your one attack that you have on Donald Trump. You think Democrats are proud of the fact that you're a, a billionaire like five times over the, more than Donald Trump? You, you think that talking about how elitist you are and how Donald Trump's not really that rich is going to play well with, with the Democratic Socialists of America? I, I don't think so. He's the epitome, like I just said, of, of this evil corporatism that controls everything. He has his own news company. He is apparently not allowing his journalists to cover him in the news or the other Democratic candidates, you know, so he can be fair. They can only cover Donald Trump, is my understanding. And he's out there buying the election, right? That's what Bernie Sanders keeps criticizing him for, you know, (laughs) the most. Bernie Sanders just has the worst arguments. I mean, the entire Democratic platform, every candidate is running uh, on promising to give away all kinds of free stuff. They're going to wipe the slate clean on student loans. They're going to provide free college. They're going to provide free health care for your entire life. Andrew Yang, yeah, he's no longer in it, but he was straight up promising cash in exchange for votes. He's going to give you 12 grand if you voted for him. 12 grand a year in perpetuity. How's that not buying the election or at least attempting to, right? And this is just... Yet another problem with democracy. I mean, democracy, the holy grail of the religion of the state that I talk about all the time on this show, uh, that nobody is ever supposed to question. Right? You question it, that's heresy. You're a heretic. It's blasphemy to question the legitimacy of democracy. It's sacred. And of course, that's only because it doesn't hold up to the slightest critique. The slightest amount of critical thought or scrutiny and democracy folds like a cheap suit. If you go back and listen to my prior episodes where I've covered this topic, I don't see how anyone could listen to those episodes and believe in democracy when I'm done with it. I mean, yes, there is an unbelievable amount of propaganda that's just drilled into people's minds about how great democracy is and how sacred and noble and all that stuff. But I don't see how you could listen to me just shred it from every possible angle and still believe that it's a decent, good way of organizing society. But this is just, this problem in particular has been pointed out at least since like the mid-1800s, for Christ's sake. And, and just nobody, I, I don't know, we just forgot that these people existed. Nobody studies them in school. You know, these government-run schools, I guess that's not a big surprise. Because just the obvious problem with democracy, when you have what's referred to as two wolves and a sheep deciding on what's for dinner, 
obviously you're going to get tyranny of the majority. Alexis de Tocqueville uh, pointed this out when he came over to study the American political system. It was one of the first things he noticed. One of his major fears was like, oh, you'll get tyranny of the majority. And as soon as the majority of, of citizens realizes that it, it can vote itself stuff from the public coffers, it's all over. It's all over, especially when you have career politicians whose sole purpose is to get reelected. They don't care about anything farther down the road. They don't have what we call low time preferences. They have high time preferences. They're only concerned with the here and now, with the next election, two years, four years, maybe six years out. That's all they care about. They don't care about the long term fiscal stability of the country or anything like that. And, and that's a major problem. They'll promise voters anything that isn't nailed down as long as it gets them elected, and they'll serve out their term, and then it'll be somebody else's problem if should they ever get um, unelected down the line, right? But democracy, and there are all sorts of quotes like this. Democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government. It can only exist until the majority discovers that it can vote itself largesse out of the public treasury. After that, the majority always votes for the candidate, promising the most benefits, and that's just going to lead to looser and looser fiscal policy, which will ultimately bring about the, the collapse of the, of the democracy. It just has to. It's only a matter of time. And just because we haven't collapsed yet doesn't mean that we won't. So not only do you have the problem of the majority of the population being able to vote themselves other things from the minority in the population, but you also have politicians who realize that, hey, I can bribe these people with their own money, <laughs> which, is, which is what they're doing here. The government doesn't have any money of their own. They don't have anything of their own. They have to take it from us first. So once they realize that, hey, I, I can give you all this great stuff and we're too stupid to realize that we're going to be the ones supplying it to them. We're being bribed with our own money. Well, th then there's no limit to what they're going to promise us. Of course, they're going to promise everything. And none, of, and none of it has to come from them. It all comes from us. So what do they care how much they take and how much they give away? Frederick Bastiat, in my mind, one of the greatest um, thinkers, philosophers, ec economists, it really hits the nail on the head. And this was like 200 years ago, okay? And I'm sure you've never heard of him. If you have, I would bet my left arm that it was not in some sort of government-run education system. But if you have not heard of Frederick Bastiat, you should really look into some of his work. He's done amazing things on this. But w what he... What he was quoted saying, and this is back in like uh, mid 1850s, something like that. Um, no, early 1820, something like that. I think he died in 1850. When plunder becomes a way of life for a group of men in society, over the course of time, they create for themselves a legal system that authorizes it and a moral code that glorifies it. That was Frederick Bastiat in the early 1800s. He was a free market economist, a classical liberal French author, and could he have been any more right in that regard? I submit to you the United States of America, the, a, a legal system that authorizes it, taxation, 
the, the, the whole constitution, the way they interpret these things, the, everything that they do, all the voluntary compliance, all this stuff, the legal system that authorizes it, and a moral code that glorifies it. Bernie Sanders is glorified for how generous he's going to be. Right, All these Democratic candidates, they have the moral high ground because they're willing to steal from those that they deem less deserving of all the wealth that they've accumulated. And they're going to give it to those that society has deemed morally as more deserving. That, I mean, I don't see how you can look at our system today and not see that that's exactly what has happened. Right. Our, our society glorifies the fact that that politicians will take from a certain sector of society in order to give to others. The whole moral code glorifies it. And that's why libertarianism has such a hard time gaining any ground in today's society. Not only do we have a legal, a legal code that authorizes all this immoral theft, but morally it's perfectly acceptable to everybody now. Because they've managed to brainwash everybody into thinking that this is now moral. This is what's right. So libertarians are fighting this on two fronts. And that's why we get so much pushback on all this stuff when we say things like taxation is theft. You get a lot of pushback on that. Because our entire society now revolves around this thing. And the proof is in the pudding. So now we have... It, it's. It's considered noble for a politician to go up on stage and promise to steal ungodly amounts of, of money and property and now wealth. They want a wealth tax now. It, that, that's considered noble and good to do that because, you know, you're going to give it to those that are more deserving in your mind. You're going to take from the Michael Bloombergs of the world because they just have too much and we're going to give it to somebody else who, who doesn't have that much, who's more deserving in your eyes. And, you know, that, that, that's why this whole thing will, will just ultimately collapse. But they're all trying to buy the election. That's what elections have become. They are an advanced auction on the sale of stolen goods. That's all they are at this point. The only difference is, at least from Bloomberg's perspective, he's doing it with his own money. <laughs> at least he's not promising to steal from certain people like for college, for instance, you're not going to steal money from people that never went to college in order to pay for other people to go to college. No, no. He's using his own money. He's using his own $3 billion that he earned voluntarily in society, and he's going to spend it to try to buy the election. Uh, okay. I, I mean, it must be nice to be one of these advertising firms, right? This guy is just throwing hundreds of millions of dollars around like it's nothing. Spent $400 million already. And he's like, you know, $40 million on Facebook ads, $30 million on Google ads, whatever it is. Like you could, if you had an advertising firm, you could just fleece this guy. He just doesn't care. Just throw out a number and he'll cut you a check. I guess the, to the bigger issue at hand, what does that say about democracy, right? If everyone's afraid that Mini Mike is buying the election, and as I just pointed out, all of these other candidates are trying to buy the election too. They're just trying to buy it with your money. They're trying, they, they've realized that they can bribe the public with the public's money. And that's another problem with democracy 
because we already have like half the country not paying anything in taxes that are net beneficiaries of this gigantic welfare state. So once you have half the country on the dole, so to speak, it's so much easier to get elected because once you get half the country or a little more than half the country who become net takers instead of net givers, well, it's all just doomed. The larger the, the state gets, the more benefits it's doling out to people. The larger these programs get, the more people get sucked in to that dependence on the government. The more people you can count on to vote for you and the fewer people there are to resist it. This is another reason we talked about this on the last episode, that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wants to expand the, the level of poverty, the, the definition of the level of poverty to $45,000 a year or something like that, so that more people get uh, defined as poor in this country and therefore subject to benefits, and then they don't want those benefits taken away once they start to get them. Once you have them ensconced in that benefit in whatever government program that they're now benefiting from, the more you can count on their vote to support you. And so now all these politicians can just pander to that majority. And, and that, that smaller and smaller minority of people who are producing everything, who, who are the ones being fleeced in order to finance this whole system of government, well, they have less of and less of a chance of, of influencing an election, right? But what does this say about democracy, about the average voter, that we, we put so much faith and stock in these people? They're expected to, you know, every vote is this sacred thing, the holiest of holies. God forbid you should say something bad about voting, right? Well, who the hell are all these people that make up their mind, if Bloomberg's buying the election through all his TV ads and things, who are these people that make up their mind and decide where they're going to cast that precious vote based off of a 30-second television commercial? Or an even shorter YouTube ad or a Facebook ad? I mean, is this the holy sacrament that we're all supposed to revere? We're a bunch of idiots plop down on the couch with their bonbons in front of the appropriately named idiot box. And they're watching The Bachelor or The Bachelorette or some other god-awful reality TV show. They see a 30-second Bloomberg ad, and that's going to be the deciding factor. That's the extent of their knowledge on these subjects, what they see on TV. All these complicated policies that, and decisions that we ask voters to make on economics, finance, foreign affairs, science, healthcare, all this complicated stuff that in the fantasy land of democracy, we pretend the average person can make informed decisions on all of them and that the politicians not only know all this stuff, but they have plans and their platforms accurately reflect the proper way of addressing all these issues. All of them simultaneously. Uh, okay, so a couple of TV ads and computer ads ought to cover it, right? And, and people make up their minds based off of that. I mean, if they didn't, believe me, people wouldn't be spending billions of dollars on these ads every election cycle. But this is our precious democracy that nobody can criticize, where the candidates are determined by voters persuaded by television ads and caucuses full of coin tosses. 
<laughs> I mean, uh, okay, that's uh, quite a hill to die on. I, and it just goes to show you the effectiveness of all this propaganda. I mean, there's nothing more propagandized in today's day and age other than the sacredness of democracy. Now, I think what Bernie and company are really complaining about, more so than all of the money that uh, Bloomberg is spending on ads and things like that, is that he's been able to get the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, to change their rules and allow him into the running and into this you know, onto these debate stages where uh, under the their old rules he wouldn't have been able to do that but you know he's been throwing around so much money i think he gave them like three hundred thousand dollars right off the bat right before he decided to uh, formally announce his candidacy and he's been throwing around money ever since so i think that's maybe that's their their big complaint is that he's able to influence the DNC into changing their rules, which isn't fair. And that's how he's buying the election, apparently. I mean, at least that's an aspect of it. And, I, you know, that's just another flaw in this whole system. It's just another nail in the coffin. Uh, okay, so he's been bribing the political parties, and the DNC's been changing their rules to allow, uh, to allow him into this race every step of the way. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but there's actually nothing illegal about that. There's nothing really wrong. I mean, maybe you think it's wrong. You might not like it. But the fact of the matter is, these political parties, uh, Republican Party as well, they can literally do whatever they want in terms of how they decide who their candidate for president will be. They, they can change the rules at any point for any reason. There is nothing written in the Constitution guaranteeing you a political party to choose from and talking about how those political parties must operate and determine their candidates in certain ways. No, no. The, these are pol uh, private entities that decide for themselves. They could just decide, regardless of the voting, that this is going to be the candidate. They could just throw out all the votes, be like, no, we just decided that this guy is going to be the, the candidate for presidency. And there's really nothing you can do about it. Of course, they'll be a little more covert about how they go about sort of screwing candidate their, their candidates that they don't want out of the nomination so that you will continue to play into their, their game here. They can't, they can't push it too far, which is why the Republicans, when Donald Trump was dominating, you know, they were flirting with the idea of changing the rules and taking him off the ticket or whatever. But he was so popular that th their whole political party, w w like the, the whole entity itself, would collapse if they tried to steal that from Donald Trump because he was just crushing everybody. But if it's close, if it's relatively close and the, the DNC can finagle their way into getting their guy or their girl in, th they'll do that. And then they can hide behind some like technicality or whatever, and you guys will come back next time around, and you'll continue to play into the game. So not only can you buy the votes of the people, but you can buy the influence of the two most influential political parties, and you can use them to finagle you into the ticket, or even better, prevent the people's choice of their candidate from ever winning the nomination. Okay, this, this sounds like a great system doesn't it? Uh, this is the, the sacred democracy that we're all supposed to hold in such high regard.
you know, just remember every vote is sacred. Every vote counts. Our democracy is sacred and all that other crap. You just keep telling yourself that. Okay. You just keep telling yourself that. But anyway, if the DNC was smart, in my opinion, they will let Bernie Sanders take this nomination. It's clearly his to lose at this point. He is the clear front runner. I don't see anybody else that can possibly compete with Donald Trump at this point or even just get the nomination. None of these other candidates, including Bloomberg, has a shot. Mayor Pete, you know, he looked pretty good last night. He was the only one, as usual, he, he's got this pretty down. He sort of lets everybody else look like an idiot. Everybody else kind of gets down in the mud, embarrasses themselves or whatever, and then he just looks good by comparison. He's polished. He's well-coached. He's fairly quick on his feet. and um, But he's only pulling like 10% nationally, and he's got no black support whatsoever. And I've, you know, I've talked about that on the show before, but I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's gay. I, I don't know too many black dudes that are going to vote for some gay guy, some gay white guy. It's not going to happen. All right. Amy Klobuchar never had a prayer. But if the DNC learned anything from the 2016 elections, and, you know, they probably didn't. I, I'm not going to give them any credit, at least not yet. But the lesson for them should have been obvious. You go with the radical that has the enthusiastic support of your base. You go with Bernie Sanders. You see, because the moderate Democrats, if there is still such a thing, right? They will hold their nose and they will vote for a Bernie Sanders if the choice comes down to Bernie or Donald Trump. They will they will go out and they will cast their vote for a Bernie Sanders if it's framed in such a way where it's Bernie or Trump. And, and that's what they're left with, especially given all the propaganda about throwing away your precious vote if you vote for a third party candidate or something like that. You know, they're not going to just go vote libertarian because they don't like the two candidates. No, no. They will go and they will vote party line. Like Elizabeth Warren said, even after she got done uh, um, just destroying, destroying Mayor Bloomberg, which was pretty funny. You know, he's a racist. He's a sexist. He's everything that's wrong in the world. He's, he'd be a disaster. We cannot nominate this candidate. But also, I'll support the nominee, whoever it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, but uh, they will. They'll go out and they'll vote for him. But Bernie supporters, the fanatics, the people who really believe in something, that, that think that Bernie is like the second coming of Jesus and they really believe in his message and they are, they are buying into it 100%, they'll stay home if you put up another Hillary Clinton. Even more so now because they've been screwed out of this nomination for a second time in a row. We saw what happened in 2016. They lost a lot of those Bernie supporters. Some of them went over to Trump. Some of them just stayed home because they were not going to support Hillary Clinton, even though Bernie came out and endorsed her like a little bitch. Okay, but you're going to lose their support. If you screw Bernie out of this, you lose all of that support. Yeah, sure, you, you still have the, the moderate, regular Democrats, whatever. But if you put Bernie up there, you get all that Bernie support and you maintain the vast majority of those so-called moderate Democrats who are going to vote Democrat no matter what. They won't stay home. They will still go out and vote. 
unlike those radicals. So that, to me, is the lesson for the DNC. We'll see if they actually abide by it. I know Bernie has no friends at the DNC or in Washington, the mainstream wa uh, Washington establishment. Nobody likes this guy, as Hillary Clinton pointed out. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they handle this. And it, it does look more and more like it's going to go to a contested convention. But just imagine what will happen if they take this from Bernie and they give it to somebody like Bloomberg, who represents everything that Bernie rails against. Everything. You think they're just going to hold their nose and vote for that? No, nah, no. Nah. They're going to be so disgusted with the system, so angry that they've gotten this nomination stolen from, from them for a second time that they're not going to vote. They'll just stay home, and, and Donald Trump will win again. Yeah, I think that might be the worst case. Uh, I don't think they could steal it from Bernie and give it to a worse person than Bloomberg. You know, Mayor Pete's like, all right, this guy's a little more whatever, a little more uh, moderate and can appeal to some more people. Maybe you'll get some, some, Bernie's, some Bernie bros to vote for him. I doubt it. But Bloomberg, that's just not going to happen. They had some heated sort of back and forth in this last debate where, where Bloomberg had some, some quick little uh, jabs that he took at Bernie for being a socialist or a communist. He said, you know, the number one leading socialist in America has three houses, which was, you know, that's, that's a nice little shot there. I just thought that Bloomberg gave the most pathetic defense of capitalism. And his attacks of socialism, democratic socialism, communism, whatever you want to say, he didn't really take it down. He, he could have. I, I think he realizes this stuff, but he just never really went after it. He seems to think that you can just sort of denigrate socialism these days, and, and that'll be enough. Just be like, oh, well, he's, he's a socialist. Oh, okay. You can't just do that. That might have worked with his generation, a bunch of old people who were old enough to remember how much socialism has failed. But you have an entire generation of young voters who think that, that these ideas have not been tried and failed several times over. They still think that these ideas are, are fresh and that they'll work. Bloomberg really didn't. I mean, his defense of, of his company and capitalism in general was pathetic. There, there's just no other way around describing it. He, he just looks sheepish up there. Yeah, he didn't apologize for it, but he didn't give like a full-throated defense of it either and say, listen, like these are, this is what I did. This is the good that I've done in the world, and this is the evil that, that Bernie Sanders' ideology has produced. Nothing along those lines. You know, you got to have this stuff ready to go. If Bloomberg wants to win one of these debates and not just look like a pathetic punching bag, you have to go after it. There's a lot that you can hit Bernie Sanders with. You know, he called McConaughey. He's like, I'm not a communist. I'm talking about Denmark. You know, he's always pointing to Denmark or some Nordic country. And this stuff has been debunked a million times. There's a great book on this, actually. It's called uh, Debunking Utopia. I think it's called Debunking U Utopia, the myth of the Nordic uh, socialist country, something to that effect. You should, you should read it. Um, everybody should read it because... And you should have these things on the tip of your tongue going into this debate. You know if you push Bernie Sanders on socialism, he's like, oh, no, that wasn't real socialism. I'm talking about Denmark. And that before that, it was Sweden or Norway or Finland. He's always pointing to these Nordic countries that, that they themselves, these Nordic countries come out and say, listen, Bernie, stop calling us socialists. We're not socialists. 
the prime minister, the Danish prime minister, came out and said that. They, they have much less government involvement in their economies. And this was even brought up in the debates by uh, Mayor Pete. He touched on this. Said that, that they, they're scoring higher in a lot of these categories in terms of freedom and liberty in these index categories than the United States. And I, I think the United States has fallen to like 12th or 14th or something uh, on these lists of, of freedom. And, you know, a lot of these Nordic countries, they have very high taxes on everyone, on everyone, and they hide it. They, they, the tax burden is hidden. And what, one of these things that the, the – uh, I forget the author's name of that book, uh, Debunking Utopia. One of the things he talks about is how when he was, was doing research for the book, that even the people that lived in these countries, like Sweden, Denmark, Norway, they didn't realize what their actual tax, tax burden was. They thought it was like 30%, less than 30%, when in places like Sweden, it was over 52%. And that's not just on the rich. That's on everybody. That's on the, the poorest people. They pay 52%. So you have to be able, you have to have this sort of ammunition to attack Bernie Sanders with. It's like, okay, you, you want to be Denmark, you want to be Norway, that's fine. You can try to make that argument, but you have to be honest about what you're saying to the American people. It's not just the billionaires are going to pay for this. No, no. We're all going to pay for it. Bernie does say to his credit, he's like, yeah, your taxes will go up, but you won't have to pay uh, your deductible. You won't have a deductible anymore. It's like, all right, but uh, my deductible is not half of my income. So... um Come prepared. Read that book. There's 10 or 15 arguments in that book that just destroy Bernie Sanders' notion of the, these socialist havens in the Nordic countries. And you can just get two or three of those ideas and boom, hit him over the head with it. You have to be able to attack him when he says that. You can't just let him get off these platitudes. And if you're mini Mike trying to make a name for yourself... You just get one little quip in there every once in a while, and then you go back to being a punching bag. There, there's a million things you could hit Bernie Sanders with that would at least take some of the heat off you for being a sexist or a racist or whatever. And he just didn't do any of that. I, I did an entire episode on, on how bad Bernie Sanders is, how he's a charlatan. And by the way, I keep seeing all these people talking about how Bernie is so brave and he has the courage to take on these big corporations and he's trustworthy, he's authentic, blah, blah, blah. And I still to this day have no idea what these people are talking about. Like, what is this based on? He is not courageous at all. He's a spineless coward. He doesn't have the courage to stand up to some college social justice warrior that comes up on stage and steals his microphone. Same thing happened with some topless chicks last week, I think. They're just uh, bogarting his, his microphone. He's taking it during a protest. Uh, he, he doesn't have the, the, the stones to take on them, but he's going he's gonna to take on big oil and multi-billion dollar corporations, but he can't say no to some college nobody. Okay, okay. No, he, he doesn't have any courage. He's not brave. He's a pansy. He's a guaranteed pansy, and we've seen it on display multiple times. He can't stand up to some college nobody, but he's going to take on big oil. Uh, all right. I mean, he's authentic. That's what you're saying now? After the DNC 
and Hillary Clinton stole the nomination from him last time, what did he do? What did authentic Bernie do? What did this courageous, authentic, trustworthy Bernie Sanders do? Oh, yeah, that's right. He comes out and endorses her. He endorses Hillary Clinton. He bends a knee, kisses the ring like a pansy. If he had any guts at all, if he had any guts at all, he would have gone for the jugular when he was debating Hillary Clinton. But of course, he's a puss. He's a puss, so he didn't. He would even change the subject. When that whole email scandal thing would come up in these debates, he would change the, enough with the emails. What's with all the emails? Enough with the emails. What about the 1%? What? No, no. Beat her over the head with the emails for a while, Bernie. Changing the subject. He doesn't have that killer instinct. He doesn't have guts at all. If he had any guts at all, he'd be up on that debate stage calling out the DNC for stealing the nomination for him the last time. They screwed me out of this the last time, and they gave you Donald Trump. Now they're trying to do it again. But he won't, and he didn't. Once again, he was just up there like the same old crap because he's a coward. If he's so brave and courageous and trustworthy, why is he so paranoid about taking money from billionaires? I, I got into a whole thing on Twitter with some guy who's like, well, you know, money from billionaires, that buys political influence. It's like, okay, only if you're a spineless politician with no principles, but Bernie's this courageous guy. He's so brave, he's going to take them on. What difference does it make if they donate to his, his campaign? He can't say no to them if they donate to his campaign? I thought he's this brave, courageous guy. Brave, and courageous, authentic, trustworthy. That all goes out the window if you give him some money? Uh, okay, sounds like a wonderful guy. And it's easy to rail against corporations and billionaires. There's only a few of them. It's a handful of people. So who cares? Who cares if you piss off some billionaires? It doesn't take any balls at all to vilify billionaires in today's society, given their numbers, the climate in today's society, and all the propaganda surrounding how evil they are. That's not courageous. That's not brave. What takes guts is to upset the masses, to tell the truth to hundreds of millions of people, to level with the country, to tell them things they don't want to hear. Like everything that I say on this podcast, for example, that takes more guts than anything Bernie Sanders does. It's easy to promise everybody a free lunch, to tell them that you're going to take care of them no matter what. All these programs will still be here for you no matter how much money we spend. And, oh, don't worry, some rich guy's going to pay for it. What's not easy is to look the American people in the eye and say, no, no, no. That Social Security thing, that's a Ponzi scheme. There's no such thing as a free lunch. The government can't provide anything to you for free. Anything they have, they first have to take from somebody else. That taxation is theft and therefore immoral. That all these programs are bankrupt, and they will not be there for you in the future. That we will be forced to make cuts one way or another. You will not get what's promised to you. You will either lose it through inflation, or we will actually have to end these programs because we cannot afford them. That takes guts. Not promising a bunch of fairy tales to naive college kids. 
lying about all the great stuff you're going to do for them. Talk about how you're going to steal stuff from the minority and give it to the majority to placate them is not courageous at all. It's exactly the opposite. He's a coward. He's a charlatan. And so I guess it's no surprise that he's the current Democratic frontrunner. You don't win the popular vote by telling people tough, unpopular truths, do you? No, you win that by telling them lies, by telling them what they want to hear, by keeping them delusional. Anyway, if Bloomberg wants to actually win one of these debates and he doesn't want to be a punching bag, I'll give you some free advice. Just own your positions. Own them and go after Bernie Sanders. Forget about Elizabeth Warren. Forget about Joe Biden. Forget about uh, Amy Klobuchar and Mayor Pete. They're all irrelevant. Okay, Bernie Sanders is the clear front runner. Go after him. Throw some bombs. Don't just say, oh, you're, well, you're a communist. Or this, this, uh, this conversation is going to get Donald Trump elected. No, just shred him. It's easy. It's easy. He's a charlatan. He's not courageous. He believes in all this nonsense, but he doesn't practice what he preaches. He says everybody, rich people need to pay more taxes. They need to pay their fair, fair share. Okay, why does he itemize his deductions? Why does he pay as little taxes as possible? Yeah, he's got the three houses. All right, what about he claims to be pro-worker? And he, uh, he was so proud of the fact that his, worker, that his uh, campaign workers were, were the first unionized campaign workers or something like that. And then it turns out he wasn't paying them the living wage, the 15 bucks an hour that he's always railing about. So they, they went on strike and they uh, organized against him. Well, what did he do? Well, he attacked them publicly. He retaliated. There's a lawsuit. There's like three or four lawsuits pending of his uh, employees suing him for uh, retaliating against them for organizing and partaking in union activities. So he claims to be pro-worker, and even his own workers can't stand to work for him. He's never run anything. He's never had a job not in government. He got kicked out of a, a commune for being too lazy. Imagine the level of laziness that would be required for you to get kicked out of some commie commune. I mean, the, the list goes on and on, and I've, I've gone over this in previous episodes. I don't need to beat this to death, but that's what you need to do if you want to win one of these debates. Just obliterate him. It's easy. Go listen to my episode on Bernie Sanders, and it's all there. I give you all the material you needed to just embarrass him up on the stage, and there's nothing he can say. There is no defense for any of his positions. None of them. Political platitude that you can say to any of those things that I just rattled off. The excuses that his campaign came out against when, when, it, when it was discovered that he wasn't paying his workers $15 an hour were the exact arguments that he will not accept from the McDonald's and the Walmarts of the world. He, he was giving the exact same arguments that he rails against. He's a hypocrite. It's easy. Go after him. Or you can just stand up there and look like a little bitch and, and let Elizabeth Warren manhandle you. Man, that must be, uh, that must be a real rough morning at, at the Bloomberg household. What good is $50 billion if you don't have any self-respect in the morning? <laughs> anyway, I'm way over time. That's our show for today. Guys, if you liked what you heard, do me a favor. Go on to iTunes, give me a five-star rating and review. Share the show with your friends. Make sure you download and subscribe and listen to every episode. Follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. 
And if you want to become a supporting member of the show, you can go to my website, peddlingfictionpodcast.com. It should be pretty straightforward. And if you can do all that, I will be back to do this all over again. Until then, just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.